How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Excellent. Lovely weather. Yes, finally. I was like, I'm just going to wear shorts. I'm just going to go for it. So apologies <laughs> that it's offensive. I'm, I'm too hot to wear pants. So we are going through the story of Revelation, the narrative of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this story starts on the beach with John seeing this radiant Christ before him, the eternal Messiah holding the keys to death and Hades. And John is ushered into the throne room of God where he sees the one on the throne and the elders around the throne and the beasts that are circling and there's this timelessness to the throne room of God. And the lamb who was slain, the Lion of Judah, walks out. The only one who can unseal the scrolls and as he's going through the scrolls, he gets to the final scroll and there's silence across the heavens. And then there are a cascade of trumpets. The wrath of God being poured out over the world. And Tim just finished reading off the final trumpet. And the pencils fall mightily from the heavens. And so by way, if you need to close your eyes, that's totally fine. Because the story is very much, I think, one that grips the imagination. And so my invitation to you is just to sit with it, hear it, imagine it. Let it, let it strike, let it impact as, you, as, you kind of, as we enter into this part of the story together. And it starts at the, at the end of this final trumpet scene where John has had this, this final blast of trumpets. And you can just imagine the intensity of these trumpet blasts and all the things that John has seen and witnessed before him. And as it finishes off with earthquakes and hailstorms and kind of the, the earth itself shaking and the Ark of the Covenant being presented. And this declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, the, it shifts. And John finds himself standing in a space of emptiness. Black emptiness. Not a hollow emptiness as if there's a, 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 something missing, a caveat of, of a hole. Space and emptiness as if there's an internal expanse of space. John is looking into something that he can't quite grasp, but he knows he's looking into the infinite beyond. And his, his feet are grounded on something. He's not sure what. And as John looks out, he can see into this vast void, lights. And at first, as he's kind of coming sense to what he's looking at, he can tell well, the points of light and distant spot, and they're flickering and they're shimmering, and they're different sizes and, and vibrancies. Well, they're, they're stars. John is looking into the heavens. But these stars aren't just arranged haphazardly or, or, or dotted in some random order. No, some of these stars are actually in the shape of something. They're, strong, they're, they're sewn together to make figures. And there's one thing that he's looking at. He's, it's nothing like he's ever seen. It's, it's more than a constellation. It's something that's almost graspable, that you could almost touch. And he sees that this, this, 
figure of stars is actually a woman. And she's beautiful. And as John is making sense of what he's looking at, at this beautiful woman, he's overwhelmed with her radiant light. And she's standing on the moon or hovering on the moon or around them. He can't tell. And he's transfixed by her. He hardly notices that this woman is very, very pregnant. And the woman isn't looking at John. She's longingly, lovingly gazing at her stomach. She is just about to give birth. John is captured by the moment. He wants to congratulate her, but the distance between them is infinite. And as she begins to give birth, he can hear the sound of her cries of labor. And her cries are not shrill and shriek. They are mournful, longing, heart-filled, painful, as if she's crying for all the women and all the mothers across all of time. And as he's watching her give birth, he can see the child emerging from her. And he is filled with excitement. He is filled with joy for her. Her labor will soon be over. But wait, John, there's something else moving in the sky. There's another figure, a collection of stars that's kind of moving across the sky, but it, it isn't human. John can tell right away this is not the same kind of shape and figure as this woman bathed in light. This is a different shape, a different figure, made of a different assortment of color of stars. These are red and orange and fiery. And he can make sense of it. It looks as if there's a, a head on this thing, seven heads with ten horns on the head, and a body that's round and bulbous with a long serpent-like tail that comes to a sharp razor edge. And it's moving and stalking and making its way towards the woman. And as it does, it slaps its tail against the sky. And millions of stars fall from their place. And it moves slowly, carefully, cleverly, underneath the woman. And John is he's overcome with fear. A dragon, he says. It's a dragon. And the dragon opens its mouth, bears its teeth, makes a cradle with its jaw. John tries to shout to the woman, careful, there's a dragon luring underneath, waiting for the babe to be born so it can close its mouth on the child and eat it and devour it whole. And as the woman pushes, she can't see. No one else seems to notice that this giant dragon made of red fire is about to eat the baby that is about to be born. And as the woman pushes and winces in pain and the child slowly lowers, John's filled with dread. And then it happens. The baby comes out of the mother's womb. And in a half second, 
In a moment, in a blink of an eye, John thinks it's over. The child is lost. Yet another light emerges from the sky. A distant light that flashes through and cuts across the black like a knife. And it's coming from a place that John remembers being. He was there. The throne room of heaven, where the one who sits on the throne, it, his place. This light has emanated, cut across, with arms open, it catches the baby. Just as the dragon's mouth snaps shut. The baby is saved, and this light, this, this orb, this angel, this messenger, this thing that's come from the throne room wisps the baby away and lands it on the feet and the side of the one who sits on the throne. And what John sees next, it all happens so fast, he can hardly make sense of it, but the woman on the moon, this woman bathed in light, somehow falls safely to earth and runs into the wilderness to be protected and safe. And it as this is happening, the dragon is now pacing the night sky, furious, rage filled, fire, anger, hatred, hatred to the woman, hatred to the one on the throne, most of all, hatred towards the child. And it paces the night sky, hot, blaze, hatred. And then John hears something else. Another trumpet blast, but this isn't the one that he just has heard. This is one of the seven trumpets of wrath. No, this is a different kind of sound. This is a sound of war. And it comes from a distant point of light from the same direction that that orb of light had just come. And John looks up and he can see a whole host, an army of the heavenly host. And Michael one of the lead angels from the throne room of the one, marching furiously, fast-paced, trumpet in hand, spears, shields, swords. There's a call to war against the dragon. Well, the dragon isn't alone. He has his own fallen angels. And he lets out a hideous roar and calls his army, and in a moment, the two armies collide. A supernova of light, a collision of power in the sky. The dragon cannot stand. He cannot even hold a candle to Michael and his army, and he loses quickly. And the battle is decisive, and it's finished, and it's over. And Michael pronounces, you are banished. And the dragon, despite its size and its hideous look and its perceived power, is thrown out of heaven, down to earth, down, down, down. And now John is watching the dragon moving, falling, coming closer to him, and he can see it. It is not exactly a dragon of stars. It's, it's something else and everything all at the same time. He sees 
a serpent. He sees the devil. He sees the Satan, the accuser. It has these forms, and as it falls to the ground with a thud, John is both relieved and terrified. But he's assured because the, the voices from heaven, strong and loud, they are all saying, salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brothers and sisters thrown out. Who accused them the day and night before God? They defeated him through the blood of the Lamb. And the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. So rejoice, O heavens, all who live there, but doomed to earth and sea. For the devil's come down on you with both feet. He's had a great fall. He's wild and raging with anger. He hasn't much time, and he knows it. The dragon looks around, and he sniffs out, and he can detect where this woman is hiding in the wilderness. And he attempts to snatch her, to eat her, to destroy her, but he cannot. He fails. The earth protects her. So, filled with rage and helpless hate, the dragon paces the floor and scratches the ground and thinks and pauses and gets a clever idea. If I cannot take the child and I cannot harm the woman, I will go to the followers of the child. I will go to the followers of this woman. I will go to her kin and I will wreak havoc and destroy them. The dragon turns and takes his big hulking body and its strong claws and claws its way towards the sea. And he waits. The story of the revelation of Jesus is timeless. As I've been thinking about this and in conversation with friends about this and pondering this, it has really struck me in a new way that I believe the story of the Revelation may in fact be one of the most important narratives that we as followers of Jesus could ever know, could ever tell, could ever be as our first and foremost paradigm. That there is a timelessness to Jesus. There is timelessness to him. The book ended between the beginning and the end is Jesus. First and last, now, tomorrow, in the past, forever. And this story in particular reminds me and, and calls to remember that I, I am a, a person of linear time. I am stuck in a, on a chronology. I'm born, I'm going to die, there's nothing I can do about it. My daughters will turn 12 and 5 this week, they share the same birthday, that's why they're not here, it's a birthday palooza in our house, it's, I'm getting texts, this is, my face like, this is the worst idea, having kids sleep over <laughs> Saturday night, so anyway, that's why none of my family are here, because they're all dog tired. 
We're all creatures of time. There's nothing I can do about it. I wish I could hold my children forever, eternally as children, but I can't. But the person in this story, the, the person of Jesus, is not a person bound by linear time. He does not operate in chronology the way we do. He is before, he is after, he is now, he is forever. And this story is a reminder, not so much to look into the weeds of what is this narrative, what is the... What is the symbol or the metaphor of Revelation? It's to say there are places. There are thin places. Don't forget, church, that this is not just about linear time, about flesh and bone, about your life and your present day and your present needs. There's a cosmic story going on. There's an eternal story that's going on that's already happened. That the, the battle is actually already over. It's not for us in chronological linear time. But we don't participate in just linear chronological time. This is a cosmic story. This is a story before time and after time. And Jesus has already won. He's already victor. So I believe John is saying, really, just rest. Trust the lamb. Resist the dragon. Trust the lamb. When linear time doesn't make sense, when it's not working in your favor, when stuff doesn't seem to be going well or right or good, and it's hopeless, as followers of Jesus, as people who love the Lamb, we don't live in linear time. The one we worship and the one we follow actually lives outside of that. And we can trust Him in spite of our own limitations as human beings. This story is cosmic. It's eternal. And this week, Really uh, amazing. We're gonna we're gonna worship uh, now. So I'll invite the band back up. So Matt, you can come back up, and we're gonna have a time of prayer at the end to celebrate how God is actually working through and with us in spite of our time. And so before we do, let's just pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're eternal. We thank you that we can rest in your eternal love. We thank you that the bombardments and the stresses of our life, they're, they're real, they're hard, they're difficult, they're angstful, they're uncertain. Jesus, that you don't invalidate any of those things. You don't crush our humanity. You simply invite us to trust you. That we can trust you that there's a a narrative that's happening behind the scenes that we don't understand. But that narrative, you already are victor. It's a narrative that you are in control of, that you, you've, you've shown throughout history, before and past and future, that, that you're the one on the throne. 
And we thank you that your throne is one of love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, forbearance, just judgment. Jesus, we ask that we would just be able to submit our trust to you. In your name. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.